Hi, I'm Katina Pantazis of Katina Pantazis PA or KP Law. Welcome to Rest in Podcast. This is your podcast to obtain a better understanding of wills, trusts, probate, and the long-term care planning process in Florida. Before we dive in, remember you can find our recorded podcasts on our website at www.lawkppa.com or follow us on Facebook. Lastly, if you would like to contact us directly, please call us at 352-600-2987 or email us at office at lawkppa.com. Now let's begin. Today we're going to talk about do you have a plan and go over some basic estate planning um, procedures and what you should think about. So first, you know, how do you want to control your property while you're alive and well? Do you have a plan set up for disability or incapacity? And what about giving what you have to whom you want, the way you want, and when you want? And lastly, what about leaving a legacy for your family? What is it that you want to be remembered by and to leave behind? So let's talk about what your estate is. It's your money, any sort of policy like a life insurance policy, an annuity, your home, any other property that you own, your personal items, your family, your values, and your legacy. What are your goals of planning? Is it to care for yourself? What about a surviving spouse? Or maybe you have adult or minor children that you need to care for. Maybe you want to pass on a specific legacy, save money in the long term, or maintain control over property that you've worked very hard for. So some common planning techniques that I see are do nothing, meaning you don't have any plan in place. Unfortunately, I see this a lot. Uh, Maybe it's a title-based plan, so you own property jointly with someone, whether it's your spouse or a sibling or a friend or relative. Maybe you've just designated beneficiaries on all accounts that you can. Maybe you have a standalone will. Maybe you have a revocable living trust. Maybe you've got some durable power of attorney documents or advanced directives for health care. So we're going to go through all of those. And again, those are do nothing, a title-based plan, designated beneficiary, will-based plan, revocable living trust, durable power of attorney, and advanced directives. First, I'm going to go over a durable power of attorney. This is very important. So this document is a legal document where you authorize someone to act for you without any sort of court supervision or approval for individual financial decisions. And something to keep in mind is the Florida power of attorney is effective immediately the moment you sign this document. Now, this document um, has gone through some significant revisions and the statute was changed October of 2011. So if you had executed a Florida power of attorney prior to that date, you need to revisit it and make sure that you update it to the current statute provisions and also revisit who you've listed, make sure it's still the person that you want to be in control of your financial decisions. Now, durable means the power continues to exist even if you become incapacitated, unless you revoke it. So this, again, is effective the moment you sign it. 
and it is durable, meaning it lasts throughout incapacity. So that is what a durable power of attorney in Florida today means. Now let's talk about the advanced directives. We have what's called a healthcare surrogate, and this basically delegates your power to make medical decisions to a person, which would be your healthcare surrogate agent that you choose. Now keep in mind, you are you get to determine when that power actually is transferred. And typically people choose upon incapacity unless you chose immediately upon execution, which was an addition to our statute that changed October of 2015. Um, but basically this is your everyday healthcare document where you allow someone to provide informed consent on your behalf. Then we have the living will. Now a living will is also a healthcare document which deals with end of life decisions. So if two physicians agree you have a terminal condition or an end stage condition or you're in a persistent vegetative state and both physicians agree you have no reasonable medical probability of recovering from one of these three um, conditions, then you are stating, please allow me to pass away peacefully. Do not keep me alive artificially. And then you get to determine what life prolonging procedures you would like to be applied or not applied. So it's very much a document that you want to put your exact wishes in so that your family doesn't have to make those decisions. So it's meant to take the burden off of your family in those end of life decisions. All right, so now we're going to go over those planning techniques in a little more detail. So the first one is if you do nothing, you have no plan in place, what happens? Typically, it's going to guarantee a probate. It's going to give all control to the state of Florida via state of Florida via our intestacy laws. So Florida basically has um, a instruction manual set up for those people who pass away without legal documents, and those are called intestacy statutes. So what are some of those, what are the risks of passing away without a will? Potentially your su surviving spouse could get everything and that may not be your intent. You don't have to leave your surviving spouse everything. There is a minimum amount you do have to provide to your spouse, but you do not have to provide it all to them. And again, it's going to depend on your specific situations and your, your family dynamics. Um, again, your children, if you have them, will be treated equally. So even though your children's needs may not be the same, for instance, maybe you have a child that um, is on disability and cannot receive an inheritance, and if they do, you're going to disqualify them from their disability, or maybe you have a child that's a spendthrift and not good with money, or maybe you have a child that's got creditor issues and shouldn't get a lump sum. Uh, maybe you have a child that has substance abuse issues that need to be addressed prior to receiving an inheritance. If you pass away without any sort of instructions, any will or trust or anything to that nature, you're allowing each child to be treated equally. The court is also going to import, the court is going to appoint someone to um, administer your estate because you have not selected the person that you want in a document. All right, so... Now let's talk about a title-based plan, meaning how you own your assets. Um, is it jointly? Um, is it individually? How do you own it? So a common um, joint ownership is called joint tenants with rights of survivorship. And this is very common. Um, it's a common way to own property. And anybody can be joint owners. So that means that each party owns 100% of the property. 
So what happens is it's a game of survivorship. So if I own a piece of property jointly with my sister, if I pass away first, that means that she has survived me and therefore has become the sole owner and that property will follow her estate plan. So remember, this is called joint tenants with rights of survivorship. And that language actually has to be in the deed in order for that type of ownership to take place. There's also joint ownership as husband and wife, which is a different type of joint ownership. And there's also um, tenants in common, which is another type of ownership. The one I'm talking about right now, which is a common one that we see, is joint tenants with rights of survivorship, which means that upon the first uh, joint owner's passing, there isn't a probate because the surviving owner or surviving owners are now owning that asset because they have survived. So typically, um, you know, when that happens, it's not controlled by a will or trust because the surviving owner now takes ownership in full and it follows, the property follows their estate plan. All right, now we've got designating a beneficiary. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, we have certain accounts like 401k plans, life insurance, IRAs, bank accounts, um, annuities, all these things that we can designate a beneficiary through that account custodian, meaning through that company that manages that plan or policy for you. So what that means is when you designate a beneficiary, that person or entity receives that money or account outside of any probate or court proceedings because you have specifically designated them as the beneficiary to that asset. So what's the risk of doing that? Well, you know, what happens if there's an unexpected probate? Let's say you've named someone to inherit your um, annuity and that person passes away before you. Now you need to remember to update that beneficiary to name a new beneficiary that is living Um, Or maybe you had contingent, meaning you named a second person to inherit if the first person passes. And that's great. Then you've, you know, you got a contingency set up in place so you don't have to remember. But what if both of those people or, or entities are no longer in existence? Now you've got the issue again of having to update it. Um, another issue is let's say you leave everything beneficiary designated to your spouse a year later, your spouse gets remarried and names their new spouse as the beneficiary on their accounts. Well, if you had children with your spouse when you passed away, or if you and your spouse had an agreement as to where you want your assets to go, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case if you named your spouse as the beneficiary on all your assets. They get to now choose who they want to inherit, and it could be a new spouse. Um, there's also a lot of changes in um, how a tax-deferred account can be inherited by a non-spouse beneficiary, and that happened with the SECURE Act, which we discussed in another episode. So you do definitely want to discuss those new changes, which happened January of 2020, with your financial advisor to determine what's best for your estate and potentially include your estate planning attorney in those discussions so that everybody can be on the same um, team and understand how what your goals are and what you want to accomplish with these new requirements that we have under the SECURE Act. Okay, so let's say you just have a standalone will. What's the downfall of just having a will? 
Well, first of all, it's only effective at death, meaning during your life, it's just a piece of paper. It really has no power to it. Um, and you know, it's not controlling for any sort of disability or incapacity because it's only uh, got control or able to instruct the court upon your passing once it's deposited with the court. So also it rarely controls all your property because like we talked about, there's ways to own property such as jointly with another person that is going to control how that asset gets distributed upon your passing. Also, you may have designated beneficiaries and if you did that on certain accounts or assets, then those accounts aren't part of your will because they go directly to who you've indicated on the beneficiary designation with that company. So you may not have all of your property controlled by your will. It's a public document, meaning once we deposit it with the court, anybody can look it up on the docket and see how you've left your estate. It doesn't provide for disability or incapacity. And if we file your will and there are assets in your individual name without beneficiaries, it must go through probate. Probate is complex, costly, and time-consuming, and you need to hire an attorney in order to understand the steps of the probate and to make sure that you're doing it correctly. So what are some of the benefits of having a will? Well, if your estate is less than 75000 we do what's called an informal, less expensive um, administration that allows for us to administer it uh, under what's called a summary administration. So it's a summarized proceeding, which is, again, less expensive, um, a summary of the formal type proceeding, and less time-consuming. However, we don't have a crystal ball, so it's it's hard to say, oh, I'm just going to have a summary administration upon my passing, therefore my family will have it easy. We really don't know what you're going to require. But that is a benefit to Florida is that we offer this type of proceeding if it's available and um, able to be applied to your estate. So for small estates, obviously the probate savings cost compared to the comprehensive estate plan cost may not justify the outlay. Um, and then also, if there's family discord or um, disgruntled or omitted heirs, judge oversight might be the best approach. So that's also something that an estate planning attorney and probate attorney would need to sit down and talk with you about to figure out what your family dynamics are and the best step for your situation. Okay, so you've also probably heard of a revocable living trust. And remember, this document is called many different names, um, and the glossary of terms that we provide on our website will give you a, a roadmap and examples of other names that a revocable living trust goes by. Now, the main downfall of a revocable living trust is people forget to fund it, meaning they forget to put assets into it. Now, typically, when you meet with an estate planning attorney and create this type of document, they help you fund it with your assets at that time. Moving forward, you will acquire new assets or get rid of assets during your life, and it's up to you to make sure that anything you acquire gets put into the trust, because if you forget about it, well, that could potentially trigger a probate or create more costly, time-consuming procedures that your family has to go through in order to either get it to your trust or your intended beneficiaries. So that's the main downfall, is you gotta, you got to be good at paperwork in order to create this type of estate plan that includes a revocable living trust. 
So of course the benefits are um, that you know you as the grantor would retain all control. It's not a separate tax entity because it falls under your social security number. Um, and it's one place for you to put all your property. So remember how I talked about beneficiary designations and where you can have a primary, meaning the first person, and a contingent, meaning if your first person passes away, now you've got a second person to inherit. Well, that's what you would use your trust document for. So you would make sure to name many different levels of inheritance so that you don't have to modify it should somebody predecease you. Um, but you always want to keep up that up to date. So you want to review it every couple of years to make sure that it still is what your goals and wishes are and that it doesn't need to be modified. And in addition to that, that our tax laws or Florida statutes haven't changed. So one thing that is very important is, again, this SECURE Act that passed January 1st of 2020. It treats tax-deferred monies much differently for a non-spouse beneficiary. So it's important that if you have your trust named as a beneficiary on certain tax-deferred accounts, that you sit down and meet with your estate planning attorney and financial advisor to confirm that that still meets your goals and wishes now that the SECURE Act has passed. Now, a revocable living trust is also private. So remember, a will, a last will and testament, is a document we deposit with the court and it becomes public record. Your trust is not deposited anywhere. It's private and only the trustees and the beneficiaries are going to know what it says. Um, it avoids probate if it's properly funded. So remember, you have to, any new assets you acquire have to go into your trust, which means funding the trust. If you don't do that, potentially your family is going to have to go through a probate. And it should provide continuity and tr a smooth transition without court involvement. What I mean by that is there are instructions and guidelines during your life. If incapacity or disability arises, there's instructions and guidelines there. And then upon your passing, you also have instructions. So it should be very comprehensive to include any sort of disability planning. So when, when do people usually plan? When should you think about this? Typically what we see is uh, when children or grandchildren reach the age of majority, people start planning. Maybe there's a birth of a grandchild, a great-grandchild. Maybe it's after retirement. Um, but the most common thing that we see is when you or someone you know has experienced a death and the proceedings, the legal proceedings following it, you get a very clear understanding of how you want your estate to be handled. And that's the most common time we see people start planning. Some overlooked times when you should be planning is a financial windfall. So if you win the lottery or you inherit wealth, you need to plan for that. If you experience a death, um, whether it's a spouse, a child, a loved one, or someone named in your documents, you need to revisit everything that you've set up and make sure that there is a contingency in there. And if not, update it. If you haven't created anything at that point, you probably should sit down and think about how you want to leave your estate. Also, if there's a divorce, uh, meaning if you yourself are divorced or if somebody named in your documents to receive money gets divorced, it's important that we look at that and figure out what's the best course of action for you moving forward um, to protect that person's inheritance. 
And then, of course, if there's a change in relationship to a decision maker, meaning if you've named somebody as your power of attorney or your trustee or your executor and you've had a falling out with that person, we need to update your documents to remove them. We don't want them to have any sort of decision making ability if they are your sworn enemy. That would be the last person you'd want to make decisions for you. So it's a good time to revisit your plan and make sure that your wishes are still set out the way you want or update them to um, your new wishes. All right, so common excuses we hear. um, It's too costly. I don't have the time. I don't want to think about it. It won't happen to me. Um, I don't like attorneys. I'm going to do it myself. Um, that's the worst one, the I'm going to do it myself. Remember, you're going, you're, you have worked hard for this estate that you have created and you want to make sure that it gets to your intended beneficiaries. And the best way to do that is to meet with a licensed attorney to determine how to get your assets to your beneficiaries in the way that you want. If you don't do that, if you start, you know, going on YouTube or, Um, these websites where you can create your own documents, you're not going to do it correctly. You're going to omit certain provisions or add provisions that aren't valid, um, or you're just going to create a bunch of issues that could easily have been corrected had you just spent the time and money with an attorney. So you will cost your family more money and more time if you try and do it yourself than if you just sit down with a professional and get it done correctly from the get-go. All right, so what you should look for in an estate planning attorney is make sure that there is an attorney that understands um, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, and your family dynamic before making recommendation and cu- recommendations and customizing a plan to meet your goals. So it's got to be an emphasis on a relationship and not a transaction. This isn't just a one-time transaction. This is a relationship, a professional relationship that you're building with someone to implement your plan at every level, not just up until you sign the documents. And then of course, lastly, This needs to be a team player. So your attorney needs to utilize your financial advisor, your tax preparer, any other insurance agent or professional to understand how everything is set up and make sure that your goals are implemented moving forward once a plan is created. So it takes a lot of team planning with all the people involved in your life, all the professionals. So... Once you've gone through this whole episode, you should review what you have. If you don't have anything, that's okay too. You can always start and seek competent legal counsel so that you can can start and begin your plan. Some of the vocabulary used within this podcast is legal vocabulary that you may not be familiar with or have a limited understanding of. Please remember that we have a glossary of terms on our website, which you can locate at www.lawkppa.com. The information on this podcast is of a general nature and is not intended to answer any individual's legal questions. 
Do not rely on information presented herein to address your individual legal concerns. If you have a legal question about your individual facts and circumstances, you should consult an experienced Florida attorney. Your receipt of information from this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship and the legal privileges inherent therein. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving with a new outlook on your planning process. Thank you.